Hi, this is J.W. Oliver with Global Impact. Global Impact is helping visionaries leverage remote virtual teams to make an impact for the kingdom. And wow, David Platt has jumped on here with us. David, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. J.W., like I've been looking forward to this. So thankful for all that you guys are doing. So yes, it's really good to be here, man. Well, a, a quick bio, not that you need one, but uh, David is an evangelical Baptist pastor. He was the pastor at Brook Hills in Birmingham, Alabama from 06 to 14. He's received a couple of degrees from the University of Georgia in Athens and a Master of Divinity Theology and a Doctorate of Philosophy from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, you were the president of the Southern Baptist Convention's uh, International Missions Board, which uh, they're one of the largest missionary groups sending out organizations across the world. You uh, came on as a teaching pastor at McLean Baptist Church in February of 2017, and then September of that same year, you were introduced as the pastor teacher of McLean Bible Church. And if you don't know what the book Radical is, you've been under a rock somewhere for the for the last few years. Uh, David wrote uh, Radical, Radical Together, Call to Live, Follow Me counterculture my favorite something needs to change probably because it was so uh, a fantastic book and i also got to go to the himalayas as david did in that book so uh and then before you vote that was the last one that was listed on there so david thank you appreciate you uh, again jumping on here man really it's it's good to be here so when i guess a simple question kind of lead into this and, and let me explain how i this is an interesting how i got to meet uh, David and and I got to meet him, have dinner with him here in Dallas uh, back in early part of the year. But it was I was at a convention where I was talking to a dentist. Uh, I mentioned Dr. Andy Yoon and was telling about the fact that we gave away fifty one percent of our profits back to Christian ministries around the world. And he said, "Oh, you got to meet Chris. Uh, he works for the Radical Group." And David Platt, I was like, "Hey, great! I have a phone call." And then Chris gets on the phone and says, um, "Hey, we're going to be in Dallas. We should." All right. No, actually, I said, wow, you work for David Platt. He's like my favorite author. Unbelievable. He said, I said, if you ever get on the list of ever have anything going on, let me know. I'll, I'll go. I'll come meet him. I said, tell me where you're at, Chicago, wherever. And he goes, we'll be in Dallas in January. Just come have dinner. I went, uh, dinner. I, yeah, I'm in. Count me in for that. So uh, I think we ended up having about a three and a half hour dinner and uh, you're uh, you're nothing but the real deal. So uh, I appreciate that as well. You know, there's a lot of people uh, putting on a dog and pony show, so to speak, but man, you are, uh, it was great to have a visit with you, but how did you know that your life was calling to be in ministry? Oh man, you know, I, I would say by God's grace, uh, there have been a handful of men in particular who've had a huge impact in my life, like starting with my dad, but then uh, a couple other, some other men in the church. And early on, uh, when I was, I came to faith in Christ by God's grace again, early on, and then in like middle school, high school, I had, I had a, one of these men who just encouraged me to really start studying the Bible and encouraged me to start a Bible study in my house as a teenager. And, uh, and I remember my first 
my first sermon, he, we had like a youth service. You'll appreciate this, JW, as some eighth grade. I could have preached on any place from the Bible. I, I chose Revelation chapter three, which is like Church of Laodicea. God saying, I'll spew you out of my mouth if you're lukewarm. I got up in front of uh, the group I was speaking to. And before I said anything, I took a sip of water and I spit it out in the front row. And I said, that's what God thinks of you if you're lukewarm. And like, that's how it all started. So, uh, but I just loved, I loved reading and studying and understanding God's word and then communicating it even in my high school. stuff. And so that, uh, that just, that desire increased more and more and more. And so uh, even by the, by the time I was going off to college, I knew that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to go to seminary after that and really dive in deeper. So, um, so that I would say, uh, yeah, starting in seventh, eighth grade, that was really a desire that God put on my heart and affirmed in different ways through the church. And again, by his grace to these men who are pouring their life into me. Well, isn't it interesting? And I think it's important. I, I, I'm like you, my, my dad, and my grandfather were very influential in me, but, but I had a high school coach, Joe Bob Tyler, high school football coach that, you know, I was in a single parent household and, and he just spoke into me like no other, right. A very mm -hmm. solid man of faith. And, I, and, and that was in my high school years. And, and I think that we need to realize as men that it's important in who we're mentoring to, the words we're saying people, because they do matter, don't they? Absolutely, they do. And, and I mean, obviously, we want to do that. I think about our kids in my home, like I want to do this with my kids. But man, I'm so thankful for other men and women who are speaking into my kids' lives. And I want to do the same. And like, if this is Yes, don't underestimate for a second the effect you can have, and we need not can have, need to have on the next generation. Like we need to be intentional about this, not just accidental uh, kind of, well, it doesn't happen accidentally, but to really invest our lives well in the next generation in whatever sphere of influence any of us has. Yeah, I, I don't even think we understand. Sometimes if it's just a quick, casual conversation, we're having somebody with someone, a lot of times they're looking at us. I always say it's it's how I'm speaking to my wife, how I'm treating my wife. Other young men, even my kids will will see that. And I got the greatest compliment I ever had from my daughter, not not too terribly long ago. I said, she's 25. I'm like, hey, baby, who, are you finding a good man? Where are you at on this relay? How are you doing? You know, 25 years old, lives in Phoenix. And she said, dad, I just want to find somebody who treats me like you treat mommy. And I thought, oh, wow that's a compliment, wow. right? I mean, that was one like, so it matters. And they see how we treat our wives. They treat how we, how we, how we do in business. You know, we got to be the same in business mm -hmm. as we, we are in our personal lives too. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, in a first Corinthians 11, one kind of way, imitate, imitate me as I imitate Christ, like follow me and people, yeah, they won't be what they can't see. We all need to see this in each other and, and especially to be really intentional yeah, with the next generation along those lines. So your biggest, uh, I know you get asked about this all the time. You, you probably spoke about it a, a few thousand times, but tell me about how did you, how did you write the book Radical? And I mean, if you haven't read Radical, you, you need to pick it up. It's still an amazing book. Uh, but, but what was the impetus? Because that changed your direction a lot as well, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And I would say it was the overflow. So it, the way it all started was... Uh, Heather, my wife and I, we were uh, um, 
living in New Orleans when Hurricane Katrina came years ago and it sent our house underwater. And uh, we kind of looked at each other during that time and we said, you know, like we've got an opportunity. We lost pretty much everything we had to start all over, like totally fresh and, uh, um, and, and yeah, just not fill our lives with this or that. So let's just, let's be really wise. Well, I would say, so a year later, I was actually pastoring, uh, first church I'd pastored. I was, and it was a large church. I was living in a larger house than we certainly had before, way larger. And, uh, and in the eyes of the world, even like the church world, it was like I was living the dream, but I had this sinking feeling in my heart that I was missing the point, especially when I, when I looked at the way, well, the way Jesus spoke about the pursuit of things in this world, it just felt like I'd taken the American dream and I'd achieved a nice, comfortable Christian spin on that. And uh, so that was conviction in my own heart that then we started to walk through as a church is I just started to share honestly, hey, church family, this is what I'm, these are some questions I'm asking, almost like a crisis of belief. Like, do I actually believe what the way Jesus spoke here about money and possessions or pursuits and pleasures in this world? Like, so let's, let's start to ask these questions. And then what happened? We walked through a journey along those lines where we started to make some changes in the, in the church, where we spent our money and the way we were doing different things. And so the book, Radical, is, is basically writing down the whole goal was just to self-publish it. We were just going to uh, give it out to members of the church, like new members as they're coming in. We're doing things a little different than, than maybe they would expect. And so here's why. Uh, so, you know, I thought people at the church might buy it and my mom, but outside of that, uh, I didn't expect uh, much to come from it. But then uh, a publisher ended up taking it on and uh, and yeah, then uh, before I knew it, like a million people had read it. And I thought, man, I, I think I'd have, I'd have read it over it again if I'd have thought that many people were going to read it. But basically, I think, I think, JW, it, uh, I, I really think it that many people started reading it not because I was saying anything new I think I was saying what a lot of people think and wonder like we look at our Bibles and then we look at uh, kind of a Christian version of the American dream around us and not not the American dream in and of itself is bad but what it fosters when it comes to uh, pursuit of a claim in this world when it comes to pursuit of possessions and and all this world has to offer like when you look at the Bible that's that's counter to what Jesus is calling us to. And I think it just resonated with what a lot of people already think. So what does it mean to look like for us to truly deny ourselves, take up a cross and follow Jesus in this culture and to live for uh, different purposes than what this world would put before us and uh, to live for what's going to matter forever, not just for what's going to matter when we retire. Uh, and so anyway, so yeah, that's kind of the journey that led to, to that book. And then, uh, yeah, a lot's happened since then. But uh, And I'm guessing your mom bought a copy. She did. She I actually, <laughs> I, I actually gave her one, so she didn't okay. have to buy it. I, I made sure she didn't have to buy, buy one. Wow, that, that's unbelievable because I know too many times we do something, we don't realize the impact that it's going to have on somebody. I know we had a specific conversation. I know you speak in front of a lot of churches and you speak to a lot of pastors and do a lot of training. And, and I, I remember you said something. I don't remember exactly what I said to you and or you said to me. And I looked at you and said, 
I don't think a lot of pastors like you because, you know, you throw some things at them that make them think, wait a minute, am I leading this flock in the right direction? Am I, am I teaching the right things? And, and again, I, I don't, I want to make sure I don't, there's nothing wrong with achieving the American dream. There's nothing wrong with having an ample amount of resources or having a lot of resources. I think it does matter what you do with those, but uh, how has that changed in how you, you present what you do? Uh, because I'm sure other pastors as well are, are looking at you saying, wow, how did he make that transition? Mm, you know, and, and so a variety of thoughts come to my mind. I mean, one, I, I want to, I try to be clear, like even in the way I wrote that book, but I would be even more so now. It's not like I feel like I've got it all figured out. It's, it's wrestling through what does it look like to follow Jesus, not to twist Jesus' words into what's comfortable for our lives, but to totally reorient our lives around what Jesus is saying and calling us to do in this world. I mean, even all the way up to, I mean, you mentioned the last book that I wrote, Something Needs to Change. Uh, there's just wrestling, like what, when I look at urgent spiritual and physical need around me in the world, right around me and then far from me in places like the Himalayas, as you were mentioning, how does that change the way I live? How does that change the way we lead our families? How does that change the way we approach our use of resources? How does that change the way we do things as a church? I think these are questions we need to ask uh, humbly and honestly before God and together in community and really to press in and to help each other, not just get, because the default is we are, uh, uh, we're kind of molded into uh, the way this world thinks and what this world prioritizes and values. I mean, this is Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewing. Don't conform yourself to the pattern of this world. That's what our tendency is. And so to help one another turn, be transformed and to live differently, to live for what matters forever. If, if our life looks like this, looks pretty much the same as somebody else who doesn't know Jesus and uh, is living for whatever this world has. And, and the only difference is we kind of tack on Jesus on Sundays. There's, we're missing the point somewhere. And so what does it really look like for us to follow Jesus according to what he has said? And to your point, like, uh, it doesn't mean we don't uh, make money, uh, but it does mean we approach money very differently. What we do with that money, how we guard our hearts against the love of money, how we are, how we give it away, um, how we, how we use it. There's all kinds of discussions even to have there, but we do, we think differently. We should be thinking very differently about those things than people around us. Uh, who don't have the gospel and aren't living for not just the next 10, 20, 30 years, but the next 10, 20, 30 billion years. You know, uh, a, a book that, that I read years ago, or just recently reread it, was uh, David Green, the CEO at Hobby Lobby. You know, he, he wrote the book, Giving It All Away and Getting It All Back Again, and uh, talked about just the the, 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 the impact he was able to make with the, the gifts he's been able, and they're still doing uh, today as well. And, and I think that's, uh, it was interesting. I, I read that book after we started this business and after my partner and I decided that we wanted to give 51% of ours, you know, we, again, the 51% came out of let's let God be the owner of our company and let him uh, be the primary uh, majority stockholder and, and let's just serve him. And then when I read that, it just reiterated. Now, I tell people all the time, look, you don't, don't give away 51%. I'm not using that as like, uh, you know, shaming somebody into saying, yeah, you need to do the same. But where can you start? And, and I think, in my mind, 
giving needs to be painful, right? If, if, mm-hmm. uh, if you make a million dollars a year and, and you give away a thousand dollars, it's probably not really painful for you, for you to make an impact on the world. But um, how can, how can business owners, how can leaders in the church, how can all of us learn to be better stewards with our money and, and really seeing it make an impact into, uh, and to be quite honest, into organizations like yours, how, how can that be transformed? Oh man, so much there. And one, I would say spend time with it, kind of like JW, like I, I, I mean, yeah, I just praise God for his grace and you and your partner and that decision, because so when I, when I hear that, I hear some, some really helpful, uh, you know, biblical gospel principles at work in a second Corinthians eight and nine kind of way. I mean, that's two great chapters along these lines, but there's, uh, there's a call to generous and sacrificial and cheerful giving that we see there. This just, it's all driven by the gospel, not by guilt. It's not, we give because yeah. we feel bad. We have all this. Like it's, we give why? Because I mean, this is second Corinthians eight, nine, uh, Jesus, though he was rich, became poor that we might become rich. I mean, it's, it's him laying aside the greatest riches. I mean, stepping into this world, dying for our sin, rising from the grave. Like those who know him are then just compelled. It's his heart in us that drives us to your point. I mean, that's costly giving and that's the gospel. It's costly giving of Jesus life for our life for eternity. And so it just makes sense for us now to do the same. It's the overflow. So it's, it's not guilt driven, it's gospel driven, it's grace driven, but that's where you, the picture there in second Corinthians eight, nine, it is, it is sacrificial. It's, it hurts, but it's generous and cheerful. I think it's, I, I think, uh, Jesus conversation with the rich young man, when he says, uh, go sell all you have and give to the poor and come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. Like, think about those words. And I love uh, in Mark's version, right before it says, he, Jesus said those words, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Like, Jesus is not calling this man to do this because he hates him uh, or wants his life to be miserable. He loves him so much. He knows that there's more to life than all the stuff he has. And this is what Jesus is saying to the rich, which I would say most all of us who are listening to this are rich and uh, certainly compared to uh, many places in the world, but, but to, to see that Jesus loves us and, and what he's calling that rich young man to there, he says, go sell all you have, your, your possessions, give to the poor, come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. That's not a call to sacrifice. That's actually a call to fulfillment. Follow me, you'll have satisfaction in me and you'll have reward in heaven for billions and billions of years. Like that's, that makes materialism, not just sinful. It makes it stupid like dumb like why would you want to live for that which won't last jesus is saying live for that which is going to last forever that's what he's inviting us to that which is going to fulfill you forever so that makes cheerful giving like i don't i don't think i'm just guessing and part of me wants to just tee up and ask you the question when you find yourself giving away 51 percent of what's coming does it feel like a burden is that heavy is that like oh we have to do this or is this not like this is awesome that I get to do this, that I get to be a part of this and that in the world. I mean, you mentioned Radical, what we're doing, but I mean, regardless how it plays out, what well, was Radical, like you're a part of what, what God's doing among uh, indigenous believers in Afghanistan and Yemen and North Korea. Like 
what a privilege that we get to come alongside our brothers and sisters there and be a part of spreading the gospel to people who have never heard it before in the Himalayas. Like, yes, this is life. And so to, to realize when Jesus has called us to this, sorry, this is a long answer. I could talk. For no, 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 okay. no, it's fine. I, but, uh, I love it. Um, that when Jesus calls us to give like this, he's calling us to life. Like our hearts are made to be glad in giving, not in hoarding. That's the way God's designed us. And it's just the uh, uh, tactics of the adversary to convince us otherwise. Like life is found in giving like this. So that then frees us. If we believe that, then we're free to give sacrificially and generously and cheerfully because we know this is life and life for us and life for others with what we're able to do through our giving. Yeah, and you, you hit on something about uh, God loves a cheerful giver. And, and I think that is a key piece of it. I don't, we don't give out of obligation. We don't, we don't give out of, oh gosh, we, we said it was gonna be 51%. I mean, it's amazing to see lives transformed through the gospel and mm. uh, how we've partnered with uh, Global Actions and, and, and now partner with Radical and doing, doing some of the things that we have decided that, that are gonna make an impact on the kingdom. I, I remember, I, I, I read a lot. So sometimes I think, oh, was that David Platt or was that somebody else? But we talked about if, if somebody was dying of thirst, I believe it was you, somebody was dying of thirst and, and, but they didn't know the gospel, what would be more important? Would it be to give them a drink of water or would it be to share the gospel with them if you could only give one of the two? Now, obviously the answer is both, but the life-changing um, uh, reaction to getting the kingdom is is uh, is life with Christ. And, and that is way more impactful than a drink of water, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. Yes, people's, there's seven plus billion people in the world today and every single one of them has one fundamental primary primary need and that's a reconciliation to god amen uh, and the only way that can happen is through the gospel through hearing and believing the good news of uh, jesus love for us on the cross and and trusting him as savior and lord of our lives like this so that is people's greatest need um and then to your point I, then there are all kinds of other needs very serious needs like you said i mean somebody's striving for water or food or medical care or uh, need of education or need of freedom because they're being a, 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 uh, enslaved or oppressed like oh and so that's where uh, we are wise to uh, to step into all of those kinds of needs and we need to with the gospel uh, at the forefront of of that work so that's when we that's why even the phrase I used a minute ago we use a good bit like urgent spiritual and physical need uh, like what what we're after is where do those collide most in the world? Like I think about some of the villages there in the Himalayas um, where you have, uh, whether it's trafficking or poverty or people dying of just simple diseases that uh, a simple solution could help with. So you have urgent physical need on top of they've never heard the gospel. And so how can we, how can we go to places like that in the world with the gospel and at the same time, wise ways to address physical uh, need. And there's nobody I've ever met, at least in whom the spirit of Jesus dwells, who gets to be a part of that and thinks, oh, I wish I hadn't done that, or I wish I'd have kept more for myself. Like, no, that's just, this is, even the fact that you and I are having a conversation about how we get to give to places like that instead of being in places like that, that's just a picture of God's grace. I have no idea 
JWYI wasn't born into one of those villages. Like I'll just, I mean, I've talked about already. I, my dad, other men in my life, my mom, like I've heard the gospel ever since I was born. I had nothing to do with where I was born. That's, that's pure grace from God. I have no explanation for that other than his grace. And I don't know, uh, I don't know why, but I do, I do know this, that I've been given this grace for a reason and, and, and it's not intended to stop with me, that there are uh, a lot of people in the world that I have the opportunity to be a part of making this grace known among, and, and I want to give my life to that. And, and I praise God for all the different ways, the unique ways, different God enables us to give our lives to that. The way you are, that's playing out in your life and the lives of so many others around you, like what happens when each of us are looking at our lives through that lens uh, and all the places where we are with the different jobs and skills and whatever else we have. You know, uh, you have been to the Himalayas and in your book, uh, Something Needs to Change, which is uh, just fantastic read, you know, and, and I've read it. I've got more uh, sticky notes on this thing than I know what to do with. Um, and and I, as we talked and, and, and some know, friends of mine know, I, I went to the Himalayas and March of this year, 2022, and and we spent about two and a half weeks there. Uh, went up to Everest Base Camp, uh, saw a lot of those villages. But before we went, we took a tour. You and I talked about this, and you really talk about it a lot in your book. One of the places we went to was was one of the temples there, where we didn't really know what they were doing. The guy didn't speak good English. It was giving us a tour, and he, you know, he took us down to a river, and we we saw all these fires burning along the side of this river right right in the middle of Kathmandu and and literally I was uh, the smoke was blowing in my face and my, my nephew and I were standing on the bridge and I was taking some pictures I thought hey what are they doing and he explains to me oh they're burning bodies and uh, I went oh okay well first of all let me move out of the way of the smoke here because I didn't know what that was um, and then we stood up there and it it, it it immediately brought me back to the book and and, and you talk about it in the book about um, seeing people die like that and, and not knowing Christ and that what little is being done about it. And the guy actually explained to me, they, they take them there usually within a day of dying to, to burn the bodies. They burn for four hours and then they just put, push whatever is remaining right off into the river. And then they consider that river a holy river. And, and that'll break your heart. I mean, when you see that going on and, and that's all there is to the end of life, is you get put into uh, some some embalming and some spices and they set you a fire and push you into the river and never knowing Christ that was terribly terribly uh sad to me you you stayed here at the end of the book I had to look and find it it says think about it this way how would you want a person on the other side of the world to live if you were on a road lead, leading to an eternal hell and no one had ever told you about heaven ask that question and live accordingly and uh, I actually wrote boom next to that because I thought it just it hit, hit me pretty hard, too. But we don't think about that. And, you know, David, we live in the good old USA. Uh, me in Texas, I live right in the Bible Belt. So there's churches on every corner. We've got preachers on television. We've got mega churches. We've got local pastors. We, we all grew up maybe not knowing Christ, but we sure heard of Jesus. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. If you live in the USA very long and you hadn't heard the name Jesus, you, you probably, again, been living in a hole somewhere. But most of the people in places like the Himalayas and many other countries, you, you've mentioned a lot of those as well, um, 
don't know Christ. And talk a little bit about when you wrote, you know, you went to the Himalayas, you saw this firsthand, and, and you and I both have seen some of these villages, and it's, they're in remote areas where they're never going to hear uh, the name Jesus. Talk about how that impacted you, and, and I'm sure was the impetus for the book as well. Yeah, I mean, the reality is scenes like that that you just described, uh, Pashupati there in Kathmandu or, um, yeah, in other places. I mean, just imagine, I think about those trails, uh, going up to somebody saying, what do you know about Jesus? And they say, who's that? Like, they've never heard his name. Or maybe think about people who uh, maybe have heard his name, but have never heard like the truth about who Jesus is. They know about him, about what we might know about Aristotle or something. And I think he taught philosophy or something. I'm not sure exactly what. Like, and, and as best as we can tell, we're talking about not just a few individuals in a few remote places, but about 3 billion people in the world uh, are classified as unreached, meaning they have little to no access to the gospel. And, uh, and if that's true, and Romans makes crystal clear faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of christ and they can't believe in the one they've not heard of they can't call on his name if they don't hear his name they don't hear the truth about who he is so we're talking about three billion people who, yeah are on a road that leads to an, an eternal hell if we actually believe the bible which i do um three billion people are on a road that leads to eternal hell and have never even heard the good news of how they can go to heaven like that that I ask the question sometimes, what is it going to take for the concept of unreached people to become totally intolerable to us? Like, this is something the church should be talking about all the time, like all the time. Three billion people in the world who have little to no knowledge of the gospel. This has got to change. That's something like this has got to change in our lives and our families, where we think about our lives and our where we spend our money, the way we uh, think about our futures, whatever it might be. And so, so that's, so this, this book, I, I, I wanted to as best as I could. I wish I could take uh, a million people on journeys into the Himalayas. Amen. And, uh, and, and introduce you to people to, to urgent spiritual and physical needs in that way, in a way that I know would, would change them. So this book is my attempt to take somebody on a journey there. And, and to be honest about wrestling my own heart, like, how do you, how do you, reconcile like the goodness and the justice and the love and the mercy of God with the reality of suffering like this in the world and then pictures of eternal suffering eternal hell um, and sort of wrestle through those questions biblically and then to realize that we've got to make a decision either we believe the Bible or we don't uh, and if we believe the Bible then it doesn't make sense for us just to kind of coast through life with business as usual if we believe this word from God and we live in a world where there's 3 billion people who've never heard. Like, we've we got to do something about that. And not just a few missionaries over there or pastors or whatever, but businessmen and businesswomen and individuals, families in all kinds of different walks of life with all kinds of different gifts and skills and jobs, all thinking through, how do I leverage my life and my family and my resources as part of our church to get the gospel to people 3 billion people have never heard of this is not just a, a side thing for a few people to think about this is something we should be talking about all the time as followers of jesus and i i don't think we are i'm i really want to so i wrote this book to hopefully be one uh step in a variety of steps to to change that 
Yeah, you you got some new initiatives. At least I think they're new. I know we talked about them in in January again when we met. Um, talk about some of the areas that you're reaching as well with with radical because. I mean, I'm just taken aback when, and you can't get your head around that when you live in the U.S. because we are all wealthy and and by by standards, if you look at you know the, the way the the way we live and what we have, and then you also look at uh, the fact that most people have heard the name Jesus and probably a large majority have been into a church, but when you think about three billion people, which is uh, coming upon close to half the people in the world have never heard the gospel. Um, talk about some of the new initiatives you have that are reaching some very dark places that have not been gone to before. If you can talk a little bit about that, I, I know I was super intrigued by those those steps. Yeah, I'd love to. So, I mean, when I when I uh, when people see, okay, if people's eyes are open, they realize, okay, there's three billion people in the world who have little to no knowledge of the gospel. How how can I be a part of that? Well, the challenge is. These are these are really hard places to get to. This is not uh, just the neighborhood next door. This is Afghanistan, Yemen, North Korea. Uh, I mean, uh, Nepal, um, uh, Pakistan, like new, like really, and Somalia, like hard places to get to, and and even if uh, well, one to get to, or even to get behind work there. Where do you know as where where are you going to start? Uh, to so what we've done is uh, said, okay, we want to, we, we do the work of identifying where in these places in the world where physical and spiritual, urgent physical and spiritual need collide. Specifically, they've never heard the gospel and there's uh, a lot of physical suffering. And so what we've done is we do the work on finding the uh, indigenous brothers and sisters there. So the, the Christians that are there on the front lines of urgent spiritual and physical need and how can we get behind them and so for example we have work in afghanistan where we we have so brothers and sisters who are biblically faithful who are spreading the true gospel and are, are planting churches and so we've created an avenue through urgentneeds.org urgent is what we call it but so that you can get behind those brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, or similarly, these brothers and sisters in North Korea, or these brothers and sisters who are working in uh, this part of North Africa, or we're in, in places where, and even thinking through, how do you get money to places like that? I mean, you don't, you don't send a check that says for missionary work to uh, <laughs> right, this right. place in the world. So, so the intricacies of how, so that's where we have tried to step in the gap to try to create, because the reality is what we found, JW, like you do the research, even in missions giving in uh, like churches across the US, when we give to missions, approximately 99% of our missions giving, meaning giving to other places in the world, uh, is actually going to places that are already reached with the gospel. Um, and I'm not saying there's not work to be done there and that we shouldn't be given to some of those places, but when we think Latin America, and, and different places in the world where there actually already is gospel access. Like we are, uh, we are in our missions giving, actually ignoring the places where there's the most need for the gospel. And so that's what we're trying to, we, we call that a great imbalance. Like we should not be spending 99% of our missions giving on places where the gospel is already gone, 1%. So we're trying to, to shift that balance. And so that's where we're stepping in the gap to say, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that. 
there's a lot more connections. It's a lot easier to get connected with people in Latin America or this or that part of sure. uh, well, just different places in the world. So we're trying to create those connections so that there's an avenue through which we can rectify that great imbalance and get behind, again, indigenous brothers and sisters. Like I just think about yeah, these, these uh, urgent workers in different parts of the world, like they, they, are, they are the heroes for sure. And so how do we come alongside them and what they're doing and let them know they're not alone and we're here to help them, whether it's through pastor training, through microloans, through a variety of different things to help the work or uh, work that they're doing to address physical needs. Um, and so to be a part of all that, that's so that's the urgent initiative at urgentneeds.org. Yeah, uh, urgentneeds.org. I I, uh, I'm going to have to check that out more a little deeper. And I, I know that uh, when I when I met with you last time, we talked about a lot of these places and some of those stories, just thinking about uh, a North Korea or uh, a Yemen, where if I felt there was a need to give to one of those organizations, you bring up a good point. I, I don't know where to start. You, you know, like you said, there's not a, a P.O. box in um uh, in North Korea that I can just mail a check to and say, hey, put this to good work. So uh, I commend you for taking the initiative and, 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 and working with these pastors and these groups. And there was a lot of interesting stories we discussed about uh, how much work is actually going on. So it's not like something you're trying to get started. These are, these are active ministries that are in place with, with Christian believers who are just needing the biblical training and the financial support as well. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I'll give you just one glimpse. I've mentioned Afghanistan, like, uh, picture a small house church. Um, so, I mean, get the scene. They, uh, in order to gather together, after everybody else has gone to bed, they meet late at night. One uh, guy goes out on a, about a mile or two walk out to a cave where he crawls in and digs, gets out a Bible. He walks the mile or two back into the village. They gather around in a really quiet setting in one of their homes. They read the Bible for a few hours together. And then before it gets daylight again, he goes back out to the cave, buries the Bible in the cave. I mean, if they are caught, they will lose their lives immediately. And uh, But they're as wisely and as boldly as they can working to share the gospel there. And so, and then they're doing uh, some uh, humanitarian work when it comes to helping provide education. And so to be able to come alongside, and they're part of kind of a, of a, a group of different house churches in a few different villages. So to come alongside and provide discipleship training and, and, and uh, pastoral training resources for them to help them grow in their faith while also helping them uh, do this education initiative that they're doing. Uh, so that kind of picture in all these kinds of different places, that's what I mean by these are the heroes. I mean, they're on, they're on the front lines, giving their lives for the spread of the gospel in really hard places. And, uh, and just to kind of wrap it back around to what we were talking about earlier, it's no burden to come alongside those brothers and sisters. And you want to give sacrificially and generously. And it's, you're overwhelmed with joy, the privilege of coming alongside these brothers and sisters. So it just, this is, again, God's designed our lives to be glad. And this is life. Uh, and we are helping share life in really hard places in the world. It's just, uh, yeah, this is what God has designed us for. 
Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. You know, I, I, I've got a Bible here I was looking at before we talked, and I've looked at it a couple of times. There's probably two in my living room. There's probably two in a bookshelf behind me. I got one in my travel bag, and we don't we don't think about the fact that uh, those have to be hidden in places. And, and I remember you had uh, told me that story before, and I'm just blown away by why the what people at what level will do to gain the gospel. And, and those are the kind of folks that uh, you're supporting and we need to support. I think that's some of the most important ones. Uh, well, a couple things before we kind of wrap it up. Um, you know, I also know that what we're doing with our with our organization, which is actually zimworks.com, uh, you know, we've developed this win-win-win. We feel like it's a, a win for the team member that's getting a job in a, in, a, in a country like Zimbabwe we're working in. It's a win for the clients who we work for in the U.S. Uh, we've got some people helping out with uh, even some of the work at Life Church with their Bible app. And we've got people doing work in different ministries and then in the medical dental space. And then it's a win. The third win is, is for the ministries because we really have a heart to see organizations like yours just flourish because you know, businesses or even people look, I know I struggle with this. You know, there was one point in my life where I thought, I'm just going to sell everything and move to Haiti. And I've been down there a number of times and I'm just going to help people. And God, I think I even mentioned it to my wife who looked at me like, what are you talking about? Uh, and and then God really spoke to me saying, you know, I need to use you in in business and I need to use you in a way that you can help me with financial resources to help ministries like Radical or a global action or some of the other ones we support or even the local ministries we support there in Zimbabwe. So I think business owners and people need to realize that they can have a significant impact on the kingdom if they'll find the right organizations that they can team up in partners because resources is is what every organization needs and, and the good ones that are doing it need all the help they can get as well. Yes, yes, that's where uh, I just... Uh... And I mentioned earlier, and we just say, I again, I praise God for his grace and what he's done and what he's put on your heart. And I just think, God, and I'm, I'm as you're sharing, I'm just praying, God, multiply. Mm, thank you. Mentality and this approach, this kind of uh, this perspective, uh, heart, Amen. like all of that, multiply that because I, different people, it doesn't matter what size business or what. It, like the opportunities are there. You mentioned Andy and his dental work, like that's their, they and their uh, dentistry office said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to start to make some major changes to be able to yeah. give away as much as we can. And what they've been, a, the opportunity had the opportunity to be a part of around the world as a result of dentistry, what you've had the opportunity to be a part of like, and, and so for God, God is, he, he's designed this whole thing. Like we live in one of the wealthiest places ever to exist on planet earth. Amen. Why, why, why do we have this wealth for the spread of his worship? This is Psalm 67. God gives grace for the spread of his glory among the nations. So let's step into that. Realize God's rigged the whole thing. He's designed the orchestration and orchestrated like the globalization, the marketplace for us to be able to be a part of what God's doing all around the world through the resources you have, we have, and it, it may, it may be a lot of resources. It may be a little bit of resources for reading the same Bible. It's clear. God uses a lot and he uses a little, uh, like all it takes, 
I was preaching just a few weeks ago on five loaves and two fish, like the way God multiplied that. So don't underestimate. I just would encourage anybody who's listening to this, don't underestimate for a second what God will do through your life. When you just take this heart, this approach, God, here's my life, spend it however you want. Use my gifts, skills, resources for the spread of your glory among the nations. God will, he will answer that prayer in ways far beyond what you can ask or imagine. You just step into it and step aside from the lie that, that uh, the adversary would say that just kind of coast and live life business as usual. Don't, don't do it. You'll miss out. Totally agree. And, and I think God favors that, that thinking. And again, it may not be monetary favoring on you, but the, the favor you get and the joy you get from the giving is, is as, as important as anything as we've experienced. Well, one thing I'll read you wrote here uh, must be in the last chapter or so. It says, open your eyes to opportunities you have to use your time, your money, and your talents to spread the gospel where it hasn't gone and to serve people who desperately need to see and feel God's love face to face. So, you know, um, you're, you, I, I met you through a weird series of events through a dental convention in Andy Yoon and you were coming to Dallas and here I am speaking to you. You took your time out to visit with me. And so I look at this as somebody's listening because they've been looking for an opportunity to make mm -hmm. an impact for the kingdom. And, and here's their, here's their opportunity. Yes. Yes. That, yes. Yes. Like God's sovereign. Of the whole, I say often God has the whole thing rigged. And, and he, he wants his glory to be made known among the nations. He wants us to experience life. If we'll just like to the full, if we'll just step into it. Uh, yeah. And, and trust he will lead and guide in ways we never could have orchestrated or planned. And uh, yeah, really it's, it, it was pure joy sitting around the dinner table with you for those few hours. And then even uh, just since then, and now, like, I just, yeah, I just pray Psalm 67 over you, brother. May God <laughs> thank you. Gracious to you, bless you, cause his face to continue to shine upon you. That his ways may be known on earth, his saving power known among the nations. And may it be may I just pray that over everybody who's listening to this, that we would we would connect the overwhelming grace he shows us with its intended purpose, like a spread of his glory far beyond us. Well, if if you don't write the book. God has it all rigged. I'm going to, because that's a great title. It's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah. I never good had, time. never heard that. You, you could get a lot of non-believers uh, jumping in there to say, Oh, I, this whole thing is rigged. I, I need to read yes. this one. Right. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> well, if you don't mind, would, would, would you uh, mind praying uh, for the people that are listening to this and for businesses that can utilize um uh, their resources to, to spread the king, the gospel as well. Yeah, I would love to. Um, God, I, I trust that just as it wasn't an accident that we just happened to be heading to Dallas, Chris and I, that week and connecting with JW, that it's, it's no accident that different people are listening to this right now, that this is just to have it's overwhelming sense, God, that even right now with people listening to this, that you have orchestrated this moment, rigged this moment for their good. Amen. And, and for the good of many others, for the spread of the gospel 
in places where it's not yet gone, ultimately for the glory of your name. So I just, I pray over every person who's listening to this right now that they would trust you with everything, with their everything in their lives, families, their resources, business, and jobs that you've given to them. And that, that you would take all of the grace that you've poured out on each of the people who are listening right now, and you would cause it to resound to your glory among the nations, that you would give a vision, a perspective, open eyes to see a world where three billion people have little to no knowledge of the gospel and to realize you have given them people are listening right now individuals you're speaking their heart you've given them opportunities to change that to be a part of spreading the gospel for the first time to people who've never heard it making your love known in the urgent need God, i just pray that you would lead and guide from here they would not be able to go back to business as usual god i pray that you would direct their steps their hearts toward however you might most glorify your name among the nations through them. And I pray that you would write multitudes more stories for many starting right now. I say starting, you've been writing it. This would be a key moment in that story that unfolds in the days to come. Even as we praise you for what you've done in and through JW and the whole picture of what you've done there. God, may you multiply that in so many other ways and so many other domains and just lives in ways that resound to your glory among the nations and to our good in the process and the good of so many others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. David, it was truly uh, an honor to have you on and we appreciate your time as well. Well, man, this is pure joy. Yeah, it's really, really good to catch up here on a personal level and I hope in a way that that's in, encouraged others. Absolutely. Well, everyone, thanks again for joining in on Global Impact and you too can make a difference in impacting lives around the world. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.